I've said it to you. I said I was going to preach a political sermon. And uh, the interesting thing about that is I actually hate that idea in the first place, that we would even say something like, oh, I'm preaching a political sermon this time. Uh, because honestly, if the church is doing and being and walking in what it's supposed to walk in, every sermon ought to be political. The church of itself is political. Meaning when we see a need in our community, and whether it be hand-to-hand or Kids Hope Mentorship or whenever something arises, and the church steps in and says, hey, we believe we have the answer, the solution, the, are you with me? That's a political statement. Uh, the other thing is this. You may not know this, but as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're in this room today, you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, do you know that you actually don't even have a political belief? You actually don't even have a political value system. Did you know that? Because the scripture says in 1 Peter that we're all aliens here. We're all foreigners. Like we don't belong to this world. Are you with me? It instead says we belong to a kingdom of God. That The scripture tells us that we ought to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So that's how the church is political. The church is political in the sense that we pledge our allegiance to his kingdom coming here to earth. It's not a red or a blue thing. It's a king of kings thing. Are you with me today? And so it's actually pretty easy for us to go, oh my gosh, how do we walk through an election? How do we possibly vote in times like this? And what do we do? And let's go, well, this is easy. It's the kingdom come. It's the kingdom you walk in, the kingdom of God. That's what we apply in this time. So when I say you don't have a political value system, you don't have a, because what you actually have is a biblical value system. Your principles aren't red or blue. Your principles are God's will. Uh, you know, you have a voter's guide that never needs to change. Oh, this year, another new four years. I wonder what the voter's guide should look like. You have one voter's guide, and it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it's God's will, the Bible. Amen. So whenever you go to make a political decision about uh, policies or values, or you just go, oh, I'm going to the voter's guide. What does God's word say about it? And you vote that. Can I get an amen? Amen. And we get a little too caught up or a lot too caught up in personality. And they said this and they twisted that. And, uh, and it gets us in a mess. If we can just get back to God's voter guide. Amen. This is what the Bible says. And this is what I'll be. Uh, I believe we're in a much better shape. I will say this to you. Uh, it's kind of controversial, I guess you would say. I don't know, dramatic, something like that. But anytime you preach a sermon like this, about 400 people will come through this building. A lot more will listen online. And so I realized that obviously, statistically, I'm not going to be in agreement with everyone who hears what I'm about to say. As a matter of fact, four years ago when I preached a sermon like this, the most people to ever leave our church left our church in one weekend over me preaching a biblical value sermon. And that's fine. That's their preference. But what's frustrating for me as the person is honestly, it hurts my feelings because it feels shallow to me that I can be walking with you and we can be in agreement and I can do your wedding and I can dedicate your kids and I can be at the funerals and I can take your phone calls in the middle of the night. But I preach one sermon that has a little bit of a political disagreement than you and you leave without even sending an email or making a phone call. Are you with me today? And so I realized that I run a lot of risk. So all I'm asking you is to just show some respect and some honor that if we have a disagreement coming out of this, can we just please have a conversation? Because you would actually be surprised to see we're probably a lot closer on everything than we are. And guys, I only have 30 minutes to make some statements. And we got a whole bunch of stuff to actually talk about, don't we? So my only ask of you is like, please don't judge me based on one sermon. (laughs) Can we, you know, if we're in relationship now, again, if you're a Spartan fan and you want to leave us, <laughs> you guys are reassuring yourself. He's kidding. Stay. I'm kidding 
God gave us, it's something we got to settle in our heart. God gave us his will. We know God's will for our country and for other countries and for this world and for voting. I'm so grateful God gave us his, uh, his will. He makes it so easy for us. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be able to look at his word and see how God has called us to steward a nation in a country. Uh, our pledge, again, is a political allegiance to the kingdom. Uh, I have a hard time, and you hear this, um, you hear this from a lot of people. Uh, I say, oh my gosh, I just, I don't know how we got here. These are the candidates. Maybe you watched the first debate, and you're just kind of shaking your head. I can't believe this is where we are as a country. Uh, where's the decency? I can't believe these are the behaviors, and these are the people, and this is their personal life histories. I can't believe uh, whether you say corruption or pride and arrogance and all these things that we're throwing out there. There's, I can't believe, where's the decency? I can't believe this is our best. How did we get here? Well, my opinion is you actually don't have any more two candidates that represent America more perfectly than the ones we have now. Are you with me? And I'm going to prove it by some of our statistics, but a culture cannot demand decency once every four years and live like hell for the duration of those four years. I'm so upset. There's no decency. Well, you have no decency every day of your life. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. <laughs> kind of. But if we look at our, our web browser history, our Netflix history, our conversation among each other history... They're actually the perfect candidates to represent America. The no decency, the, and be care, let me be careful. I'm just, I'm just saying what, you're, what we're saying is, how did we get here? It's cream of the crop rises to the top. Can I get an amen? They represent culture. Fifty Shades of Grey sold over 150 million copies. It's the highest selling book of the last decade. So when we try to say something like, oh, the way they treat women or the way they talk about women, well, hold on. It's what we're consuming. Amen. Yeah. $571 million in the box office, a half a billion dollar box office for Fifty Shades of Grey movie. And then we're over here acting so surprised when politicians don't know how to act in their sexual lives. <laughs> I'll keep going. Ashley Madison, a few years ago, we see this is a hookup website that got hacked. 37 million people received a settlement payout to their lives because their names were exposed to this. There was 37 million people on an affair website. That's only one app, and there's hundreds of them. And we say, where's the decency? I'm saying, where's the decency? comedies that we watch, the way we talk about each other. I can't believe that these political ads talk about each other this way, and they have no honor, and they have no respect. And Have you watched a comedy? Have you watched Saturday Night Live? We don't talk right about anybody in authority anymore. Yeah. Have you watched your Jimmy Kimmel's and your Jimmy Fallon's? There is no respect for anyone in authority anymore. Yeah. Well, I can't believe we were talking. What do you mean you can't believe it? You consume it on a weekly basis. Yeah. Don't get me started on what we allow in music, the number one most downloaded song of this year. I can't even tell you about it, but I can tell you who wrote it, Cardi B. It's the number one song of Americans, meaning Americans said, I want that the most in my life. And then we go, where's the decency? I'm saying, where's the decency? I believe cream of the crop is rise to the top. White lies that we tell our bosses and other people were shady. We lie. We distell the truth. And we go, oh, I can't believe that they would ever. Well, we do. Yeah. 
the pornography industry makes more money than ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox combined. Combined. And we try to talk about the treatment of women and, and all these things. Yeah. And, and, and you guys are saying, well, he sniffs and he does this and he does this. Like, well, I'm just being real today because that's what I am. But we get all caught up on these. Well, but this is where we are. Are you with me today? You cannot be surprised when this is where we get to, when this is what we allow on a daily basis in our lives and in our communities. And so what we need to do is fix it on a daily basis instead of a once every four years basis. Uh, It's like this, and these are weird examples, but it's the best I got. So it's like we're floating down a river for four years. We're all just cruising along. We're just floating that river. And then the election comes, and we're like, wait a minute. I want to go the other way. You allow it all along. We're just allowing everything, allowing everything. Then all of a sudden, the election comes, and all of a sudden, you get real principled and valued. And you want to start going the other way all of a sudden. It's too late. You've gone this far for this long. Are you with me? we got to swim upstream on a daily basis. Make your vote count every day. Can I get an amen? So we'll get into some of the like specific how we need to vote and what the Bible says we need to vote. But I'm telling you more so the message about voting is like your daily vote matters. Uh, I thought about it like this. Uh, Voting, and again, another weird example, but I'm just trying to like calculate this because I get so annoyed when I see people put up their vote sticker. And you should vote. You definitely need to vote. Uh, But here's the thing. Voting, I value. I'm not disvaluing it. But but I get so annoyed everybody puts up their sticker. I voted. Like I voted. and And then that's it. They don't do anything else. They voted. They held up their high value, and they voted. And look at me, I voted. And what I'm trying to say is, like, it's like buying a house. This is the example I'm trying to give. It's like you bought a house. Voting is like you bought a house, got the house. And then you're like, I got a house. We're living. No, you just got the house. You just set a structure. Now what you need to do is make the meals in it and raise the kids in it and clean it and maintain it and on a daily basis have order in it. Are you with me? We say, I voted. Okay, you got it. Now start doing something on a daily basis to bring structure to our world and make his kingdom come. Are you with me? Establish righteousness, establish God's values, God's principles. So I'm all for voting, but if all we do every four years, I don't think the enemy is going to be too worried about that. Because we got we to gotta live this thing. Are you with me? So even teenagers in the room, I'm here to tell you today, like your, your voting policies and your value systems and your conversations... They don't need to be shaped by Facebook and social media and blogs and, I guess, TikTok, <laughs> whatever that is. Uh, kids hate this. You should do this because the holidays are coming up. And if you like to be annoying like me at the holidays, you can do this. Every teenager you walk around, every time you see a teenager in a house at a party, just ask them if they're on TikTok. What are you doing? You on TikTok? That's what I do with them all the time. Jess's nieces hate it. They're like, no. Oh, oh. And then they're on TikTok, though, actually. They're TikToking how annoying I am. But teenagers, here's where you get your value system. Here's where you get your truths. Not, not live your own truth. Here's where you get You go to God's word, God's will, his way, and it's never changing. And so don't let culture try to dictate or the pressure of all these other things. Go to God's word. So what we're talking about is we're talking about righteousness. This is what voting is about. And this is what about electing leaders is about. It's about making sure that righteousness is what is leading our nation. 
We want to be a righteous nation. It's, a, it's kind of frustrating to me that we almost have to defend the idea that we want to be a Christian nation. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So when we step up, oh, I believe that, that God wants to make this a Christian nation and God wants Christian values, and we have pushback on that, especially among Christians. Like, I don't know if we should talk that way, that we want to be a Christian. I'm sorry. I want to be a righteous nation. I want to be a holy nation. I don't know that anyone would ever want to leave. A place. Is, there any, is there a country we can go to that's unrighteous? that maybe their value system is not so much righteousness. I don't want to be a part of that, which means the number one thing we're always trying to establish is righteousness in the nation. Are you with me? That's what Proverbs 14.34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Righteousness means right standing with God. Being in right standing with God and having principles that reflect right standing with God, policies that reflect right standing with God and his way and his will, that exalts a nation. Not being a great negotiator, not being able to have the best tax plan. Are you with me? What makes a nation great is righteousness that exalts a nation. Sin, sin, the scripture says, condemns any people. One word uh, for sin or for condemns here is disappoints or even discourages people. When you set policies and standards and compromises of sin, you will see discouragement. You will see, are you with me? And so the more we move away from righteousness and God's standing, the more you're going to feel this disappointment and discouragement set in the land. And it doesn't take very long for us to turn on the news and see there are a lot of people discouraged and disappointed and distressed, aren't they? You know why? It's because righteousness is not being exalted. It's not being valued. Are you with me? So the number one thing we got to do is pursue righteousness, right standing with God, righteousness in our policy. Notice it's right standing with God. Things that we put in place that stay, that stick. It doesn't say right saying Oh, we're saying all the right things. Ooh, let's elect somebody who's making sure they're saying it all the right way all the time. And so it's right, no, right standards, right standing, meaning right policy. Are you with me? And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying right, left. I'm saying right with God, right standing. It's what we actually put in place. And this is going to be the part that gets me in a little bit of trouble. But listen, you're voting policies, not personalities. It's not what's being said. It's what's being established. So when you watch a political ad and this person's saying all this and you know that they're just spinning it and then you watch the other one over here and you know that they're just spinning it because guess what? Both sides are spinning it. What I'm trying to get you to say is see that saying means nothing. It means not all the saying, 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 saying. It's like what is actually being established and put in place. So here's the part you won't like (laughs) is this. Do you know what doesn't matter? Hunter Biden's computer. It doesn't matter. Trump's tax returns don't matter because they're not policies. Are you with me today? None of you are. It's all small parts. It's all parts. It's all parts. I understand it's, it's character and you're checking all these kinds of things. But at the end of the day, we're taking what's being settled and set in our nation and we're voting those. Are you with me today? All of that stuff plays a part. And we can have long conversations about all that kind of stuff. But we get so caught up in saying I mean, I have people come up to me and say, there's no way I could vote for Sleepy Joe. And like, it's like, it's like they literally don't like his personality. Therefore, they're not going to vote for him. We have no conversation about policy. It's like, Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe. And then people are like, there's no way I could vote for the Donald. MAGA, give me a break, stupid red hat. And they talk nothing about policy. (laughs) I just, 
I feel like that was the most offensive thing I said. You guys love your red hat. <laughs> but there's all this other stuff that we get so caught up in, and it has nothing to do with, oh my God, did you hear about the UPS package? Like, I'm tired. <laughs> Let's talk about a policy. Are you with me today? And again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, anyway, let's just get back to the Bible. I do better when I do that. God pays attention to policy. I want you to hear this. Oh, but God checks the heart. He knows our heart. That's so true. It's so true. And he does. And we will be given an account for that. But God, I want you to hear this. God pays attention to policy. He pays attention to what leaders put into actual place. We see in scripture, King David, who's considered a righteous king at this time in right standing with God, he makes a sinful decision. He puts essentially a policy into place that's a prideful one, that's a sinful one. He numbers the people and 50,000 people are destroyed as a result of a policy he put in place as a leader. Because God pays attention to policy. There's consequences to this. Hezekiah, the scripture says, uh, he shared military secrets as the leader that he was. Uh, he broke this confidentiality. He got shady and he, he shared these military secrets. And the scripture says it brought about his leadership a curse. Why? Because God honors righteous policy. Can I get an amen? We see Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings. And, and as they're trying to uh, reestablish and reset godly order among the people, we begin to get an idea about how the scripture says you would do that. How to, how to exalt a nation in righteousness. Uh, the scripture gives us a picture about how you do that. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 26. I have the New Living Translation and the New King James Translation kind of put together here. But it says this, talking about the restoration of rebuilding this thing into righteousness. Isaiah 126 says this, then I will give you good judges again and wise counselors like you used to have. It says, then you shall be called the city of righteous, righteousness, the faithful city. It says when you put in good judges, godly judges that are judging things according to spiritual principles that God established. Are you with me? Yeah. It said, then, then. So judges matter because God pays attention to policy and order and structure. God is a very orderly God. You look at the creation of the earth, the way that he puts the body, the body together. You look at the detail throughout scripture. God pays attention to all this order. And so government and all of this kind of stuff, though we're aliens and we're foreigners and we're not people of this, God uses this structure to bring his kingdom come here on earth as in heaven. Can I get an Amen. So he says, good judges and wise counselors, when you do that, then righteousness will be established, which means if we don't have good judges and we don't have wise counselors, we won't have righteousness in our nation. Therefore, we won't be exalted. Are you with me today? So those kind of things matter. I would say it to you like this. Culture wars come and are decided in courtrooms. We can pray and preach and all those things kind of matter, but so many of our major things are decided in courtrooms. It should matter to you because this is how God uses nations to bring about righteousness. Yeah. Are you with me today? And so the accountability to affirm righteousness and right standing should matter in our government. Uh, we see that God keeps his promises when policies are established. With Abraham, God made a covenant with Abraham about uh, those who protect Israel. We see in the scripture, God makes a, an incredible covenant. We see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God is saying, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. 
and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and you and in you shall be all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The scripture is saying this. I want you to hear this because it's kind of a talking point in our time. The scripture is saying this. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you great, but I'm not going to make you great so you can say, look how great I am. I'm going to bless you so that in your greatness, you can bless others. So I'm going to bless. And so the scripture is talking about, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. So anytime somebody stands with Israel, God says there's a blessing that comes on that nation. You ought to want your country to be very pro-Israel. Can I get an amen today? Because the scripture says, I will bless them and those who do not, there'll be a curse. God goes on even further in Psalm 105. He says, for a thousand generations, I will bless someone who stands with Israel. Do you know that we're only 200 generations into that? And God is still saying, I am going to support and stand with those who stand with this policy of being pro-Israel. Numbers chapter 23 says, I don't lie. He's talking about how he doesn't lie. Numbers chapter 23 says, I don't lie about this. If God said he's going to stand with it and bless a nation that stands with Israel, then he's going to bless it. Can I get an amen? So that should matter to you when you go and vote is how would Israel be treated? Uh, I thought about it like this. Okay, how do we decide which policies are important? I'm going to give you just a couple because I can't do all of them, but we're going to look at a few things that are right in front of us. So how do we decide which policies are important? Well, wouldn't you believe it? God actually gave us the answer in the Bible. He made it really clear for us. So let me give you an example here. Moses, you guys all know Moses. Uh, he's leading the people. He's got all this stuff going on, plagues. Uh, he's going through the Red Sea. And then also he's being led by uh, pillars of fire. And so he's got, all, he's got all these things going on in his life, all this big miraculous. He finally gets to a place where he can settle. He's led his people. He can now settle. And so God's like, hey, you're going to establish your people. Uh, we've led you through all this crazy. It's time for you to settle. And he says, um, we're going to establish you basically as a nation, as a people now. And so he gives them 613 laws. So basically 613 policies get laid out that you can, you can find them in scripture, 613 different things. And everything you need to know about is in there taxation, debt, the economy, welfare, healthcare, education, immigration, war, military, foreign relations, how we handle the environment, criminal justice, everything that you care about is in the 613. And so there's this whole thing. But then what God does is he says, hey, I'm going to break this down to you and I'm going to give you a top 10. All of these really matter, but the top 10 are what matter most. Are you with me today? Yeah. And so, all, so if you care about health care and you care about national debt and immigration, all of these things are amazing, taxation, you should care about all of those. But God says, here's the top 10. And he says uh, in Exodus 34, he says that those top 10 are the tenor about how we should go about our life. Now, our candidates do the same thing. They have an answer for all of those. All of our candidates probably have 613 answers for all of the different things, right? I'm glad I don't have to watch that debate. Are you with me? <laughs> But they have all of their things. But what they do, even if you go on their website right now, is they've narrowed it down to a 30 or four. They've given us their tenor of their top things because it, it, it narrows it for us. And so God narrows it for us. And he says, hey, here's this priority system in which you should make every decision. It doesn't mean the others aren't important. They are important and you should work on them every single day. Racial injustice and welfare and all of the things should be worked on every single day. They were still very much a part of these people's life. But God is saying, here's this top 10 out of all of them. 
Here's the ranking system. It's the tenor. And when we begin to look at that top 10, it makes it really easy for us to vote for righteousness and policies that reflect this top 10. Can I get an amen? Because the first one makes it really clear, and it's this. It says, I am the Lord thy God, and you shall have no other gods before me. Meaning those that are leading your nation should be putting God first above everything else. Meaning there should be uh, encouragement and support for your religious freedoms. Because no other gods, no other things, no other structures come before my people being able to worship me as the one true God. Are you with me? So you need to go to your ballot and you need to go, is, is this a person, is this a, a policy that will help me exercise the right of worshiping my God and celebrate the, the fact that I can worship my God with freedom? Keeping God first, public religious acknowledgement and religious conscience of God is God. Are you with me today? So that's a big one. Another one that's a big one uh, for us in this that we just see just running rampant through our country right now is the sovereignty of marriage and what it looks like. Scripture says in the top 10, God puts in the top 10, that thou shall not commit adultery. Adultery is anything that breaks the marriage union. We believe that the marriage union is between one man, one woman in covenant for their entire life. Are you with me? And so adultery is in the top 10. If there's any policies that are put in place that don't uphold God's sanctity for marriage, then it doesn't match God's top 10 and it shouldn't be something we participate in. Can I get an amen today? So what supports God's sanctity for marriage? Another one would be this. The scripture says, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not spill innocent blood. Thou shalt not murder or bring about harm. And so a big one for us in the time that we see is the idea of abortion. And then obviously the lengths at which abortion is allowed and even uh, policied. And so again, we, we ought to be prayed up. We ought to understand that one of the top tens out of all of the things that matter, God says in his top 10, murder cannot be a part of righteousness in a nation. Amen. Are you with me? And so where do I get this basis of, of abortion? Think about this. The scripture says that Jesus and John the Baptist are both in their mother's womb, separate mothers, obviously. One is Elizabeth, one is Mary. And the scripture says that when they get near each other, uh, the, the, the scripture gives an account that they both leap and they have this interaction and these things happen when they acknowledge each other. What I'm trying to say is if the Bible records the unborn as a life, how much more shows that our policies in America? If the Holy Scripture says, hey, this was an unborn life that has value and recognition, how much more so should the way that we vote be? And so, and so murder, the, the, the spilling of innocent blood is something that really matters when we go to vote policy. Now, listen, I'm going to pause and say, if you have participated in an abortion, I do not at all want you to feel judged. As a matter of fact, hear this sermon as me moving closer to you and saying, like, I want to be there. We would want to be at your side. Like, I believe God has a way of living and that's not it, but I want to be a part of what it is. Can I get an Amen. amen. And so this small segment in a tiny little sermon does not do any fairness to me having a conversation uh, about abortion and someone who's walked through that. But I can say this, um, September 15 of 2019, I actually preached an entire sermon on abortion and what the Bible says about it. And so if you could please do me the fairness, if you feel like I said something unfair, go back and listen to that sermon and really truly hear my heart. Can I get an amen today? So I think this is something that matters. Again, immigration and national debt and all of the things, walls, all of it. 
is in the 613. All of it is in there. But what we got to do is take a look at the top 10, and then God takes it one step further even later. And this is where I'm going to get off the specifics and bring it back to us in our hearts. Someone then asks them, hey, of the uh, top 10, can you refine it again? What's the best of the top 10? Like, what's the most important of the top 10? He says, oh, you want it all, no, you want it all narrowed down? You want it all to a boiling point? It's this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just freaking love each other. It all works out if we just love each other, genuinely care for each other, like we actually love, except, of course, the Spartan fans, we don't love that, but. But how about that? Do you want to get it all figured out? Do you want to figure it all out? The 613, do you want to figure it all out? Here's how we figure it all out. Love each other. Just love each other. And we're going to love each other with God's truth and God's word and God's principles and God's, but if we can just love each other, this all works itself out. Can I get an amen? So I started the sermon by essentially saying it's our fault. <laughs> it's our fault that we're here and, and we don't like what we see and some of the things, but it's also our responsibility to be a part of the change. And we, we vote according to scripture and policy and value. We do that. But then at the same time, I'm here to say, we also get to be a part of the solution. We also get to be a people who say, you know what? On a daily basis, I'm going to be the change. I'm going to make the difference. I'm, are you with me today? I'll close with this. First Timothy, many of you have heard this, but first Timothy chapter two, verse one says this, I urge you first of all to pray for all people, all people. So I urge you first of all, pray for all people. I know that's been your playbook through this whole thing, right? It wasn't, first of all, you posted on Facebook and I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Have you been praying for God to help them or harm them? <laughs> Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. When's the last time you prayed, oh God, I give thanks for, insert your answer there. <laughs> Pray this way for kings and for all those who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives Marked by godliness, there it is again, righteousness, godliness, God's kingdom come here on earth, and dignity, hashtag bring dignity back. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. And that's a great like motto for us, is that we would pray that everyone is saved and understands the truth. Amen. Not a party's truth, not a church denomination's truth, but the truth. Can I get an amen? Get saved and understands the truth. Second Chronicles tells us how we do this. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Are we doing all of these things through the election? Are we humbling ourselves and praying and seeking God? Or are we turning on the news to see our next talking point that we're going to get somebody in the break room? Are we browsing social media so we can do the next gotcha? Are we humbling ourselves and praying and seeking God's face for our nation? That's what we're going to do tomorrow night. And we'll turn from our wicked ways. The scripture says, and turn from our wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. There's really only one person who can make America great again, and it's 
God. When he looks down and sees that we've done the things that he's called us to do, we've humbled ourselves, we pray, we sought his face, we loved our neighbors. It gives him the opportunity to turn and heal lands. Can I get an amen today? And so for us, we're not pulling for a blue wave or a red wave. We want a white wave of surrender to come into this country. Waving the flag of we surrender here, God, to you and to your will and to your way. I want you first of all. Not a red or a blue. God, we want you first in our country. Can I get an amen? That's why Psalm 37 verse 3 says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Are you trusting in the Lord and doing good? Are you scared and fearful and nervous? And then going out and trying to put... Are you with me? It says, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. If we can be a people who trust God and his word and his will and his way, we trust him in all things and all his righteousness. If we trust him in that... You'll live safely in the land and you'll prosper. Your candidate will win or lose based on how Americans vote. But the church wins or loses based on how Christians will respond in the days to follow. What's your testimony going to be? What's your response going to be? I believe you're primed to, to respond as a light and as a leader and as somebody full of love. Let's make sure we be that. Can I get an amen? Psalm 46.10 says this in the message version. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God. Above politics, above everything, step out of it all, and let's just look at God in all of this. What's Fox News saying? Oh, what are they saying? What are they saying? What's Facebook saying? Have you heard this? Did you see this? This leaked, that leaked. We're all spending so much time on stuff that's not even true. I wish I had time to do that. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at your high God above politics, above everything. Here's what I would say to you and me. If hopelessness fills you because your person lost, you've missed it by a mile. If hopelessness sets in because your person loses on Tuesday or whenever it's going to be, if your person loses and you feel hopelessness, you've missed it by a mile. Because the scripture says that the nations rest on his shoulders. Step out of the traffic, take a high, a look at your high God. Are you with me? Now we vote and we, and we, all that stuff matters and we go after it. But at the end of the day, God is in control and it's him who we trust. We do our part, but he, the nation rests on his shoulders. Amen. Let me pray. And then we'll jump out of here. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for your word that leads us in all truth and righteousness. God, I pray that you help us pray and seek you for the way that you would have us make decisions. Uh, Lord, I pray that we, we walk like we just talked about, people who love one another first, who seek you first and trust you. Uh, Lord, who humble ourselves and repent of our wicked ways so that you can heal our land. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.